welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Mr. Statewide himself. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? It's true, Danny. I've now officially lived. I, I did an interview with Chris Gethard this week. Mm. Was, you know, maybe the, uh, well, he's trying to be the punk rock Springsteen. That's what he said. <laughs> he's, just, he's trying to be called that. And we took a real trip around the state of New Jersey on our interview. And I, I do realize, man, I, I've never left this place. It's 40 years in. I've not only that, I've lived in many different regions of this place. I've lived in what's considered North Jersey and West Jersey and true Central Jersey. And I think I know this place. Mm. And uh, I don't know. Maybe one day Phil Murphy's going to lose his job, right? Okay. I was not expecting it to veer off there. No, but I was kind of going for more that you are, you know, I don't know if I'm the first person that said this, but I'm pretty sure that you're New Jersey's pit bull. <laughs> Mr. 973, Mr. Uh, I don't know, 732, Mr. Whatever zip code you want to be. That's Thank Benny Horowitz. getting my zip code second. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, well... But Pitbull, I don't think so. We have to find a different one. I like where you're going here. <laughs> but Pitbull is like, that guy is famous because he's cool. Yeah. And there's no other reason. He just looks cool. You and look cool? cool and associates <laughs> himself with great stuff. And that's why he is who he is. I don't look cool. And I don't act cool. And I usually stumble into most things I do. Pitbull seems like a very focused and determined man. Um, and he is also famous for the quote, uh, if it flies, floats, or fucks, rent it. <laughs> Which, you see something like that coming out of my mouth, Teddy? <laughs> I'm just looking forward to this next Mercy Union record when you guys cover Fireball. That's it, that's it. Yo, don't <laughs> touch Jared. He's into that shit. I know. He's, uh, his, uh, his, his Amy Winehouse covers are legendary. Yeah. Right. He's a pop man. He's a pop man. Anyway, well, you know it's a pop podcast. And no, I'm not trying to get the lawyers from the New York Times over here. Well. It's time for this day in music history. Do, 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 do. Well, today is that perfect blend of what we're always looking for, which is sports and music. The, uh, the entire attempt of this show encapsulated in this day in music history in 2014, 50 Cent, wow. hip hop artist, throws out first pitch at the Mets game at City Field. Oh, legendary. Missing the catcher by at least 20 feet, maybe more. Bob Euchre style, just a bit outside. One of the all time great examples of a musician testing the first time they throw a baseball in their entire lives in front of thousands and thousands of people, which 50 Cent clearly did, unless his rotator cuff fell out of his arm. Uh, Tops later produced a baseball card commemorating the moment, and the back of the card reads this, in quotes, when it comes to memorable ceremonial first pitches, 50 Cent is certainly in the club. The Queens-born rap star was invited to do the honors before a Mets game in May 14, wearing a number 50 jersey and opting to work from the rubber. The southpaw busted out a small leg kick and unleashed a pitch that nearly hit a photographer. <laughs> so I love that Tops went after 50 a little. Gave him a little, uh, a little guff for it. But what's the deal with that, Denny? What's the story with people who have never thrown, clearly never thrown a baseball before, 
going leg kick from the rubber in front of thousands of people to give it a shot the first time. Like when, wouldn't you, wouldn't you give it a couple test runs before you get out there? You know, I think that this is very much uh, not to say that it's gender based, but I feel like a man wants to be like machismo. Like, mm. you know, you, it's like John Waning it. Yeah. Like, like you put out someone that's been, you know, very successful 50s. Like, oh, I'm going to just step to the rubber and, and throw this ball mm. as compared to like, you know, sometimes you get like a reality star throwing out the game and they're just going to stand there, toss it. And sometimes it's probably better than, oh, it's a hundred percent better than, oh, than often better. Often so, What's the best one you can think of who in your memory threw a frozen rope? You know, I think that this is very much uh, not to say that it's gender based, but I feel like a man wants to be like machismo. Like, mm. you know, you, you like put John out waning it. Yeah. Like like you put out someone that's been, you know, very successful. 50s like, oh, I'm going to just step to the rubber and, and throw this ball as compared to like, you know, sometimes you get like a reality star throwing out the game and they're just going to stand there, toss it. And sometimes it's probably better than, oh, it's a hundred percent better than, than fifties throw. So what's the best one you can think of who in your memory threw a frozen rope? Oh man. Hold on. There have been some really good Cubs ones that I've seen, Mm. um, you know, and, and, and all timer. I mean, that W first pitch in the World good Series was, was was pretty good. Um, most of the time, they're, I mean, I feel like, you know what's weird? When you see, like, when they have, like, say, like, if, like, the U.S. Uh, gymnastics team, like, like won gold or something like that, and there's, like, five of them, and there's, like, five di- different catchers, that gets kind of awkward. <laughs> right, right. But right. I'm, like, the trying to think one. about the, the best one. one that I've seen, that who, like, just like got right in there. Um, I got one that comes to mind. Maybe it'll spark a memory. Yeah. I know it's the second time in probably about a month we're bringing him up in favorable fashion. <laughs> I don't know what to do. But the first pitch by George Bush Jr. at Yankee Stadium yeah. after 9-11, you know, I was expecting a dud there. I was I was very afraid that it was going to trickle over home plate in such a in such an attempt at patriotism. <laughs> And I got to admit, he threw a nice little dinker straight over the plate. Looked about 55, 60. I don't know. You know better who, than uh, Williams' studio. <laughs> <laughs> you know who throws a nice first pitch? The Sandman. Adam Sandler throws a nice first oh, pitch. Every time athlete. he's asked to come to good the stadium, he, you know, he, he steps up. He shows that he's yeah. warmed up. A little bit, and he, he he delivers it. I, I just, yeah, just saw a video kicking around again of Sandler in gigantic basketball shorts playing in a pickup game somewhere. So he's, he's still in it. You know, friend of the show, Steve Russian has actually played pickup with him. It I was a ball a little bit. It was, a uh, it was Steve ESPN's Tim Kirkjian and Sandler and Sandler, you know, like I feel like Sandler would play pickup with anybody. So I feel like we got to make that happen. Live. Well, I mean, exclusive. yeah, he famously apparently always had a, uh, like some hoops on the sets of his movies and always play pickup there. So it's, it's pretty fun. I'm glad Sandler's because he, he's a Knicks fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's got to be got to be over the moon be. right now. Yeah. Well, let, let's get to that section of the show. Yeah, let's do it. 
Let's get to it. First series on Tuesday, the Dallas, Ma- the Dallas Mavericks completed their two-game Ooh. steal against the LA Clippers at Staples Center. Luka Doncic had 39 points. Tim Hardaway with 28 as the Mavs outshot the NBA's best three-point shooting team in their 127-121 victory. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki looking out as the Mavericks take a 2-0 lead. Absolutely went into LA and just kind of embarrassed the Clippers a little bit. This comes after the Clippers purposely lost games down the stretch to get the Mavs in the first round. Now we're a couple years into the Steve Ballmer era and the Clippers seem to be you know, trending in a similar direction and the only thing that's changed is they've gotten a couple more superstars and increasingly more arrogant. So Benny, are you confident that the Clippers can make this a series going back to Dallas? Yeah, yeah. I, this isn't like I haven't seen so much in this series. I'm like, Clippers are dead mm. because they're not. I think they obviously have no answer for Luka Doncic. Yeah. Who does? <laughs> He's like maybe the best young player I've ever seen. I mean, how old is Luca? He's like 22 years old, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he is. I mean, like, just to think that this is the equivalent of someone who played three years in college and who decides to come out. Like, nobody at this age has been this ready to shine in these moments. I mean, nobody in my lifetime of watching basketball mm. anyway. So um, the idea that they've dropped a couple games to go get like the you know most young universally talented player is is pretty foolish and if this thing falls apart i mean fuck like there's no chance that that Kawhi and paul george are coming back together next year with one of them being a free agent and so um but i digress that's going too far because i could very much see a game three where the clippers have a good dominating performance Abaka's rounding back into shape. Like maybe he can actually give them something. Maybe they get a little more from their guards and they can, you know, start to level out this series. I do think it only takes one game. You know, we uh, are often quick to just, you know, start discounting teams based on one game. The Clippers had a very nice season, very solid season. Dallas had a lot of lows in their season. They're not always going to shoot that well. So, I think there's a good chance that the Clippers can still get back into this. But if there's any team who's like on the hot seat where like this has to work or this thing is going to explode, it's definitely them. And I have no idea why Ty Lue is not putting Kawhi on Luka. Uh, Luka's right. Papev, too small to cover him. Like, you know, know, we saw on TV Luka being like, you're too small for me, which is fucking hilarious. I love Luka when he does that. Uh, Tim Cato of The Athletic shared this stat that in the Mavs clips head-to-head this entire season, Kawhi has only been Luka's main defender 17% of the time. He's probably the most similar body to Luka out there. I don't know. Maybe like a good idea to get a guy who's been on a couple all-defensive teams to go up against one of the best young stars in the NBA. I don't know. Danny, you got to help me with something. So when I watch basketball... And particularly this stat, this stat I invented came to mind by watching Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. And I think I even texted you this. There's six to nine times a game when I watch Steph Curry (laughs) that I go, (laughs) what are you going to do about that? You know, like, like that's my reaction. So the only other player that's been causing this in me recently is Luca. And the thing I love about him is he seems to do it to himself. (laughs) Have you ever seen Luca just hit like a 32 footer and he's just grinning? He's like, I don't know. (laughs) 
He's like, I just do this shit. I don't, I don't even know how. So I need to, to get a new stat together, like a uh, WPG, like a woos per game, or a, or my eye, oh. my uh, eyelids go up, uh, like like EPGs, because because Luca is now in my new statistics, starting to maybe get into Steph Curry territory with that. Well, I think we got a borrowed term from baseball. You got to bring war to the NBA. Wow's uh-huh. above replacement. Oh, okay, okay. Eyes above replacement. <laughs> no, but it's unbelievable what Luca is 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 doing here. I mean, you know, and I think we're seeing more and more of these young guys coming into the league that are ready for this moment. We're going to talk about John Morant in a little bit. I think it's the combination of, you know, the way we develop guys that, you know, and the AAU circuit, they've been playing playoff games essentially since they were 13 years old. So the level just keeps going up and up. I think development is at a a really cool place, but shout out to Rick Carlisle and the Dallas Mavericks. You know, people question Rick Carlisle a lot, but I really think the way like, you know, we've got a lot of teams in this playoffs that are playing above the sum of their parts. Um, and, you know, Dallas is, is, is right there w- with all of that. Uh, Luca may be the straw that stirs the drink, but Kristaps has looked nice. You know, they've, they're making Hardaway look like his father out there pretty much. I mean, it's just unbelievable what Dallas is doing here. And honestly, I think this may be a short series. Wow. All right. The one thing I'd like to take about 30 seconds back. And I actually believe the opposite of what you said, which is, yes, these guys in AAU are playing big time competition games like early on in their careers. So what you're seeing from Luca is actually the exact opposite. Mm. To me, the example of the downside of AAU right now is like a James Wiseman. It's somebody who everybody knew about from when they were 14 years old, was in these you know, super specified leagues with other great players just like him, just his age, you know, gets to Memphis and plays three games and then all of a sudden winds up in the NBA. And even though he's obviously physically gifted, uh, has a talent for basketball, it's just fucking lost on the court. And he's like two years away from being a productive player because he doesn't have the reps. And I think this is uh, another indication of what's happening with G League Ignite, with people signing in Australia. I think the success of Luca is adding more and more to the idea that the AAU kids are ill-prepared. I think AAU can prepare you up until a point, but I 100% agree with you in the fact where uh, professional development is needed, not by the time you're 21 or 22, but if you're 16 to 17 and you can, and you know, maybe you, you, you'll even start kids that are like top players that are like sophomores in like high school, start to go to a G league team, get that professional development because I think the NBA is like, Whoa, okay. We see what Luca did playing professionally since he was 16. We want to do that here. And I think NBA teams are bullish on that. Yeah, and and Lamelo Ball too. Another yeah. indication of that this year. So, love that. All right, um, next series, boy, Benny. I, that Lakers Suns game too was something else. I uh, had sure. all of the intrigue that that you want. Chris Paul versus LeBron. But in game two, the Los Angeles Lakers saw their fifteen point lead whittled down to just one in front of a sixteen thousand fan crowd out there in the Valley of the Sun. Uh, you know they were 
feeling it. They thought that their sons were going to take a 2-0 series lead. But guess what? The men with the dark hats, the black hats, if you will, from the old Western image I'm trying to portray here. LeBron James and Anthony Davis rode into town and were like, not so fast, my friend. It all kind of began with 3.15 left in the game when DeAndre Ayton's hook shot was swatted into the mezzanine by Anthony Davis. Um, then, you know, the rest of the way in the minute that followed, uh, LeBron and AD went on a 7-0 run. Uh, capped with LeBron and AD having probably one of the most beautiful screen and rolls you'll ever see, even though Jay Crowder would argue he got tackled by Anthony Davis, setting LeBron up for a dagger three that, you know, he was wide open for. Never leave LeBron that open. That's just a good rule Mm -hmm. of thumb. But L.A. would win this one 109-102 to tie the series up, heading back to Staples Center. Benny, LeBron is now 6-0 in the first round when he's lost game one. Um, so that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, you know, he always talks about the feel out game in his press conferences. And I guess that happened again, uh, of note, Chris Paul's, uh, ability to be on the court. Um, you know, he hurts, had an upper arm injury, kind of kept him out. Uh, but he, he was still out there, but was not able to shoot the way he wanted to. Um, fun part about this, this is a great development last night. Andre Drummond, 15 and 12. You know, we talked last week about how he has been, you know, a, a total disappointment. If the Lakers can get this kind of production from Drummond, it's lights out. So, Benny, a, a, a lot to make out of last night's win over the Suns, but have the Lakers restored your confidence in them? Yes. Cool. They have. Um, and I'm not one of the ones who said the Lakers were in trouble either. So what what you said is the thing we've been doing this show a while now. So mm-hmm. now you got receipts, okay? <laughs> and I'm happy about that. You can go claim my receipts if you have to. But I said last year, preseason 2020, I was watching it and I saw Anthony Davis and LeBron James run a pick and roll. And I said then the Lakers will win the finals because this is absolutely unstoppable. There is no answer to this pick and roll in the NBA. And now they're back, and there's still no answer. So if this team is running at full strength, it's the same as last year. It's the same as my preseason prediction. The Lakers are the best team in the West. Mm -hmm. So how quickly people can change, I'm one of them, even though I didn't totally turn, because a lot of game ones happen like this. Now, here I'm also Jack's utter lack of surprise that we're talking about CP3's inability to stay on the floor and and play the whole series. And it's a shame. I mean, how many times have we been through this in the last, like, six, seven years now where, you know, through the course of a season, we all buy the Chris Paul thing again? Because we have to, because he's amazing. When he's full, when he's fully on, nobody... Uh, uh, orchestrates a team like he does. The Suns need him to be at peak to operate the way they need to operate. And he's not. And he, you know, the idea, like, you know, there was some running theory that he, he, you know, he had an extra day and a half to get ready. He shows up with that tape. He's obviously uncomfortable. He's favoring it from the start. He can't make it through the whole game. So, I mean, now as much as I love this Suns story, and as much as it might be the first, like, fuck you with a play-in game because of the fact that the Suns even had to play him in the first place, 
I feel bad, you know, I feel bad for this team that had this epic season and it's, and it, I think it's probably going to end for them now. And you know what was crazy? So we, you know, I feel like we, we've heard a lot about Devin Booker this season and down the stretch last night in game two, Dennis Schroeder kind of shut him down. And if you're a superstar in this league and it's down the stretch in the playoffs, you don't get shut down. So what are we, I mean, his stat line was nice, but if, if, if you go by the eye test, Devin Booker, there's no reason that Jay Crowder should be the guy. Like, I love Jay, Marquette guy, great with Miami last year, but there's no reason that Jay should be the one to try to shoot you guys back into the game when you are the cornerstone of the franchise. But what was happening at the end of the game? It goes down to the same thing. Devin Booker hasn't had to be the initial on-ball creator this entire season. Yeah. And about eight minutes before the, the instance you're talking about, he was put in a situation he doesn't have to do all season. And all of a sudden, with Chris Paul off the floor, you're putting a lot of attention on Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. You're not going to let Booker kill you when the rest of the floor is filled with Cam Johnson, Ja Crowder, you know, uh, Miles Bridges, no, I'm yeah. sorry, Bridges uh, and Aiton. You know, like there's just not enough out there without Chris Paul running the show. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, sad, but it's like, We've had this same conversation once uh, every two years for like the last eight years. And here we are again. You got to wonder, right? If, say, the Lakers just win the rest of the game, uh, the games, and like move on really quickly, how long, and this is kind of an outside of basketball question, how long does Kendall Jenner keep Devin Book around when he's like, oh, Luca, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> I got to say, though, <laughs> Devin Booker is one of those guys I look at and I'm just immediately I'm attracted to Devin Booker. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, I've been, I've been a, a handsome man, straight man most of my life. Yeah. <laughs> but that is a good looking man. And uh, if if I had one too many and was put in this situation, Devin <laughs> might be my go to. So very handsome. You'd very rather handsome. go with the guy who let's be honest, if his career is right now, he's not going to win any rings like i like i just don't see it unless he he makes a change what's more valuable to you if you're drunk and you're at a guy oh he's handsome or hey if this goes right the right way i could be you know oh, making a hall of fame speech you should know this answer already <laughs> your co-host here i am about sultry lust my friend that's what i'm about so yeah i'm in the moment i don't care about rings i don't care about money I don't care about anything except the moment, dog. That's what it's all about when you're in there. So, no, I uh, I don't care about rings. I care about the deep, <laughs> deep, buttery connection between two humans. I think I just revealed to myself and about myself that I'm a ring chaser, and I had no idea that <laughs> this was even in my DNA. <laughs> Benny, let's move on over to your Brooklyn Nets. Uh, tremendous series thus far against the Boston Celtics. And things look to be clicking in Game 2. The Nets look great on Tuesday. Uh, they won Game 2 to take a 2-0 series lead by the score of 130-108. to Your guy, Joe Harris, 
earning that big contract. You said that he got so many of these white shooters paid. Um, oh, yeah. pro- probably right. Um, but he gets the Brooklyn Nets franchise playoff record for threes and a half, which there seem to be a lot of qualifiers in there, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, Tuesday was one of those games where they got guys like Blake Griffin going. You know, you really saw what he could be in this offense. Uh, the spacing for the Nets has just been s- sensational. Part of the reason why Blake was open, Joe Harris was open. Um, KD and Kyrie got to rest a little bit near the end of the game, which I think is important, especially if you're going to go up against Milwaukee in the next round. Um, they, you know, they could be in a longer series than the Nets right here. So, what do you make of this? Are you as confident as I am in your Nets that you know they've they've kind of found that chemistry going forward? Well, yeah. First, let's talk about Joey Buckets. Let's please. One of the great success stories of the NBA goes from almost out of the league to a, a minimum contract with the Nets, turns it into a, a two-year deal, becomes a rotation player. Then all of a sudden, oh, this guy's a starter. Let's keep playing him more. He's, he's got game. Then he wins a three-point contest. Then he gets paid $80 million. Now he's a, an important cog in a championship race. I love Joe Harris. And the one thing you're going to see, just a, a heads up to non-Nets fans, there's going to be a lot of records broken in the next few yeah. years, okay? Let me tell you that. Brooke Lopez is the franchise's leading scorer in history, <laughs> only followed by Buck Williams. Um, so there's going to be a lot of uh, Nets records toppling in the next couple of years with this big three, okay? the uh, It's not exactly a huge um, uh, bevy of flags that we're, that we're sitting on. But uh, to talk about the actual game, the Celtics are uh, outgunned. Yeah. They're outmanned. They don't stand a chance. Um, and I would be surprised if they get one. So, yeah, I am as confident as you. Um, there's no answer to uh, to this. And I don't think the Nets are even going to get a challenge until they see either the Bucks or the Sixers. You know, prior to Tuesday, I was really, you know, we made the pick last week. Lakers Nets I was like ah, it's looking kind of dicey you know the Lakers didn't look good in that game one the Nets I was like okay but do they have enough to be the Bucks and the Sixers and the and Tuesday answered everything and it's unequivocally yes if you have the big three out there and then you have Joe Harris and Blake Griffin playing center I didn't know how much I love Blake Griffin in in that center role. He's a guy that can be decent on depends on matchup defense, yeah. right? I mean, but then if 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 you need something a, a little bit bigger, you know, you bring DJ in and, and and stuff like that. I think it's a, you know, there's a luxury of of riches at Steve Nash's disposal. Yeah, man, I'm I'm very confident in the Nets going forward. The one thing to consider is the Jeff Green injury is important. Um, mm-hmm. He's been a, a very uh, important um, defensive piece uh, all season, switching from anywhere from the three to the five. And if they're going to hit one of those deeper teams, they're going to need Jeff Green to play. Yeah. Um, we, we can't have those minutes filled with like Alizé Johnson right now. So curious to see how that pans out. Well, let's turn our attention to the Bucks a little bit here because we're going to have some cross-pollination in the two topics because I think that, you know, it's it's – I don't think it's too early to start previewing Bucks Nets because I think for this podcast, one of us is going to be very hurt, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be me. Anyway, let's get to game two. The Bucks they took care of Miami at Pfizer Forum. Brim 
Bryn Forbes, did, you know, did his best Joe Harris impression the other day. Uh, money all night long. Bryn Forbes, 30 under 30, whatever you want to say. Uh, Drew Holiday kept Jimmy Butler to 10 points in game two. Bobby Portis and P.J. Tucker look like they're fine in their groove out there in Brooklyn. I uh, was really happy with the way Coach Bud defended Bam out of Bayou, covered him uh, like the Heat did Giannis last year, and I think that it really worked. Uh, so, as we said, we're recording this on Wednesday before game three, uh, but I'm expecting Miami to really come out the gates hot in, in, in game three at home. Uh, but if the Bucks put it to bed in game three, this may be a very short series, and we may see Nets, Bucks sooner than we thought. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to curse. I know you were reticent to say that Milwaukee is definitely going to advance because, you know, you don't want to uh, curse your own team here. But like I told you on the phone, my, Miami has no chances, I didn't think, in this series, and I think it's playing out. Mm. They might get a game or two, not to say that it's going to be a sweep. But uh, what a difference maker Drew Holiday is. I mean, I think, you know, the impact of that trade initially was probably lost in, you know, how much they gave up and the fact that he's not exactly like a household name and people are like, what are we actually getting with this guy? And even statistically, you know, I think a lot of people see it. They're like, ah, is he really worth it? And then you watch fucking guy play. You know, people need to watch basketball more, right? <laughs> and then you just see on a day-to-day basis this guy. I mean, he's he's very physically imposing for a point guard on offense. He really gets shoulders into people. He creates a lot of space. He's always in the right place. And then what a joy to just watch someone piss off the best scorer on the other team every game i mean Mm. what a fucking nuisance like i haven't seen a player just like manhandle people on defense uh uh, that long so it's it's a joy to watch him um the pj tucker thing has officially put me over the edge where if if there's a, a formerly good player who is just good on an absolutely awful team underperforming, I'm never going to judge that performance again. <laughs> PJ Tucker was obviously not dead. He was just bored. Um, and he's a very nice piece. You know, I love, there was one section in that Miami Milwaukee game where uh forget who it was, but, but somebody bodied Giannis. That was, uh, they brought in Bellica. Mm. You know, his job is just to shoot threes and put a body on someone. You know, and he knocks over Giannis. He kind of steamroll him. He's putting a leg over him, kind of disrespectful because you see it. People try to knock Giannis around. They, mm. they think they can do the Steph Curry with him where they let's knock him around enough. And, you know, right when Giannis is on the ground, who walks over with a stiff arm but Bobby Portis? Yeah. You know, just gets him out of the way. And for someone like Giannis, you know, I don't know the fucking guy, <laughs> but from everything you do know about a guy like that, fucking big isn't it Mm. like and it feels like something to me it feels significant it really does so i think this bucks team is in a as good of a position as they've been in since this run started the tucker portis additions have been huge i honestly am kind of shocked that they were able to land Portis in the offseason because it's not like he had like a bad year when it's like a reclamation project people are still scared over the nikolo miritich punch it turns out you know you put people that are winners together and they end up making it happen. Yeah, um, where's Miritich now? Maybe yeah, right. Portis was right. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> he's uh, over in, in Spain, I believe. But, Benny, the thing I need to see the rest of the way in this series, I need Giannis to clean up this foul shooting thing because, honest to God, if we get down the stretch in a yeah. – 
in a series like against a Nets team, they're going to be fouling him and be like, I will let Nick Claxton foul out just so that Giannis goes 0 for 2 at the line and they waste that entire trip. So I need that to be figured out. But in terms of how the Bucks match up going forward, I oddly think the Nets are a better matchup for them position-wise than the Heat are. So if they can get past this, I'm actually kind of confident because I really like Ky- mm. I like I like Kyrie guarding. I mean, excuse me. I like Drew Holiday guarding Kyrie. I really like that. I think Giannis KD is kind of a toss-up, though I kind of give the edge to KD there. I think KD is a pure scorer. Not sure that uh, Harris or Blake Griffin will, will be as open in a Buck series as they are uh, against the Celtics, but that spacing will definitely be there. Over the past month, the way the Bucks defense has improved, I mean, it's suffocating at times. I think you've seen that against Miami. You saw that at the end of the regular season. So I don't know. It's going to be very fun, but at the end of the day, the best player in the series normally wins, and the best player in that series would be KD. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm actually more concerned about the opposite of what you are, which is can the Nets stop the Bucks? Because hmm. it's not exactly like a strong defensive team on the other side. And the Bucks have a tendency, you know, like you're slow on your rotations. If you're not getting to the place you need to be right off, you're not knocking Giannis off the block a little. They, they can, can beat you up pretty bad. So I'm actually more concerned about the Nets defense and the if and when that series happens. If and when, but we got to put this out there. You know, we're recording it a little early. I think that this is, I think that that segment's going to age really well. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, well, speaking of it, this segment's not going to age well at all because by the time, you know, we talk next week, they're probably going to be out of it. But we got to talk about the New York Knicks. Benny, Tom Thibodeau's Do team. Do I have to? I mean, we have to. We have just to just kidding. for the people. Just kidding. <laughs> Tom Thibodeau's team has been punching above their weight all season. Over the weekend, Trey Young became villain number one in NYC, which is amazing how one game can happen. Um, they were chanting, F you, Adam, all of this great stuff. The city was alive on Sunday. Benny, I was walking around. Just had that energy that I feel like New York hasn't had uh, when it's a nice day meets your your sports team is in a big game. Uh, it's unbeatable, really. People are vaxxed out there and you know making stuff happen. But I'm not sure if the Knicks have enough depth to go the distance here, especially if they go back to Atlanta. With the best-case scenario, they go back to Atlanta with the series tied, and I just think that the Hawks at home would be too much. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've been pretty public this week about the Knicks. I got to make it clear. Listen, my father's a Knicks fan. My brother's a huge Knicks fan. Uh, I've lived in this area my whole life. The Nets have always been second fiddle to the Knicks, even when they're good. So literally, I am a little biased this week just because of how annoying they've been. If I have to hear Stephen A. Smith, Jacoby, uh, all the pundits, the aggregates tell me that this is a Nick, they're so insecure. You know, this one team over the river gets good a little bit, and now they just can't handle it. So that being said... Uh, I know people are going to think I'm just a Knicks hater when I say this, but I don't think they match up well right now. I don't. I think this is a bad team for them, and I think the Knicks overplayed what they are all season, and you can give them credit for that. They're a really well-coached team. They have a lot of chemistry together. They're well-built. They like each other. They play the right way. So you, you give them credit for overachieving with what they had, But now in the playoffs against an Atlanta team that's 
you know, Bogdanovich is healthy now. DeAndre Hunter is back out there. Collins, Capella, Young with Gallinari coming off the bench. Lou Williams coming off the bench. They just got too much. It's too good of a team. And I'm, I'm not convinced that the Knicks defense or Julius Randle being the number one option is going to be able to take him out. So I actually do think the Knicks are in trouble. Um, if you ask me, they're playing with house money and they shouldn't mm-hmm. be upset. You know, this team wasn't expected to be as high of a seed as they were necessarily get into the playoffs, look good for the future with guys like, you know, Barrett and quickly and top and all looking good. So future is bright for the Knicks, but I, I really don't think they have enough to get past the Hawks in this series. And by the way, in this off season, they have a uh, $63.8 million in cap space, most yeah. among any team. So, and you know, the way that uh, worldwide West and Leon Rose work yeah. futures bright, uh, yeah. This may not be your month, but I think that there's good times ahead for the I do, New too. Yorkers. I think it's something people have kind of a short-term memory about. They're like, oh, why couldn't the Knicks get this person, this person, this person two, three years ago? Well, yeah. if you were a player two, three years ago, did you want to go to the Knicks? <laughs> no, yeah. of course not. And now, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like like that's one thing I think the Nets did not get enough credit for was building a team and building an environment that people just wanted to come to, you know? And I think Sean Marks and the people who built the program deserve credit for that. And the Knicks did not have it three years ago, and maybe they have it now. And, uh, you know, a guy like DeMar DeRozan on the market who's been averaging 20 points a game for a decade, who knows? Who knows where all all that could end up? But a couple final series that left to talk about that we're going to mush into one. But uh, we have some one seeds in Utah and Philadelphia, uh, teams that will be fine long-term. But Utah, who lost uh, game one of their series to the upstart Memphis Grizzlies without Donovan Mitchell, out due to COVID protocol. Memphis was fueled by Dylan Brooks and John Morant. Uh, Morant has already given us a playoff memory this season, as we talked about before. Uh, the play-in tournament was his coming out party. I, I tweeted on the SiriusXM NBA account, a star is born. That moment was awesome for him, something to build on to the future. Uh, but this sure. team is still young. Uh, I think Utah takes this in six because they got to win four more. But Memphis is in good hands going forward, surrounded by John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Dylan Brooks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm with you. I think both these series are... are um going to end up with the one seeds uh everyone has a little bit of game one uh jitters and forgetting that utah was missing their best player yeah. maybe a top 15 20 player in the league in game one uh i think memphis doesn't stand a chance in this series and i know that it's gonna you know hard to see after game one and what it looked like and how uh memphis is riding high right now i mean they're on quite a streak and mm-hmm. i think they're a great team as you do but um Utah's rounding in, and I think uh, people's perception of this series is going to change drastically after tonight. I also think uh, the Wizards don't stand a chance against Philly, but this one I actually see being a little more competitive. Mm. I could see the Wizards getting a game, getting two games, and kind of just fucking with them a little bit just because of the nature of the players in the series. Uh, I'm most interested in in that series on paying close attention to Philly's uh, rotations and how they perform and and um, I really hope they do have to play a couple extra games because I think they have the easiest path to the Eastern hmm. Conference Finals. 
The interesting thing about the Memphis-Utah series is I felt like in game one, Balanchunas outplayed Rudy Gobert, which I wasn't expecting at all. Yeah, that's not happening again. I mean, I mean, Valanciunas, like he, I feel like him and Draymond were on equal footing in that play in game. Now he's, you know, he outplayed Gobert in game one. I don't know. I'm just saying I, I would believe that more so than the... Wizards guards are going to get the best of, you know, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. See that. All right, Benny. Finally, sometimes you go to a show and you don't hear your favorite song and the band comes out to say goodnight and you're left to cheer to try to get them to come back for one more take, one more song, whatever the venue may be. Uh, But here at the tune-up, we'll skip the applause and get right to the stuff we didn't have time for in a segment we call the Tune-Up Encore. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Very importantly, or not importantly, I don't know. This might just be the way things are going. Amazon (laughs) Mm -hmm. purchases MGM for, I don't know, more money than anyone could ever imagine. $8 billion, an amount of money that could probably, uh, you know, help to feed every person who doesn't have food in the world. God knows when you break it down. But this is the thing I always find fascinating about is our, our country just awards and redeems utter capitalism and industry takeovers, right? It's like, it's like a monopoly. It's, it's everything everyone's dreaming of. I'm going to be the one who can do it and take it over. But we also simultaneously love an underdog and a takedown of someone who has achieved the very crest of capitalism. So it's really funny always to watch the people who really believe in a system that allows this to happen then really furious when it happens. Like when this happens, my instinct is always like, yeah, that's what you have set up. And it feels weird, doesn't it? And that's the thing I take from this that I think can be the bigger picture. It's not like the small person here can have anything to do with Amazon buying MGM. This is so beyond our control and inside the Illuminati's control. But I feel like it teaches us that people don't inherently like this. It feels strange, and it should. And politics and laws are the things that are used to get to justify that strange feeling into your stomach of being okay. Because we all know it's wrong, and we all accept it because we like getting any product ever made delivered to our house cheaply within 48 hours. So I do think that this is something that you have to accept within the context of capitalism. But every time it happens, that eerie feeling that people have is because it is fundamentally wrong and maybe it should change. But the moment that Amazon wants to, you know, drop drop off a couple duffel bags at the house to get the tune up to be an Amazon original, well, we're right there hey. for it. <laughs> oh, I'll take the sound of music on my Amazon Prime, you know? Well, Benny, <laughs> I want to piggyback off of what you did because i think that this is one of the biggest stories that probably not enough people are talking about how unsustainable the entire entertainment business is right now because these companies have been spending more on content to get people interested to sign up for their service um the two mergers of no also in the past week in addition to this is the warner media discovery merger uh this deal comes just three years after at&t went through a serious legal battle about whether warner 
about buying Warner Media violated antitrust laws, only to turn around and not now divest is an interesting thing to me. Um, and and divest to a place like Discovery, who you know that entire company specializes in content that is unscripted reality television, and now they're making their decisions about HBO. That's a little terrifying as a creator. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm sure they're going to keep a lot of the people at Warner media that make those HBO decisions there, but you never know. I mean, we saw, uh, Disney has kind of, uh, waned out the Fox searchlight people over there. So, uh, eventually it's going to look like, you know, we're going to have the big three or four again, Disney with Disney plus Hulu and ESPN plus, uh, CBS and Viacom and NBC Universal are reportedly discussing a merger, which is crazy because CBS is like the antithesis of NBC, um, which just kind of blows my mind in general. And then you have the Warner Discovery, which gives you HBO Max um, and the but then the discovery stuff and the unscripted stuff prints money. I mean, Property Brothers probably makes more show for that network than any other show that's like prestige television brings in. Definitely more than Mrs. Maisel brings into Amazon, that's for sure. So you have all of this, and now Amazon is also thriving, like you said. They have the MGM catalog. Uh, and oh, yeah, by the way, they have sports rights now to every single league. So that's just crazy. But here is the main point. I say all of this to say this is going to be bad for the consumer because right now, now it's between like the nine and fifteen dollar range for you to have each of these services, and prices never go down. It starts at eight dollars and incrementally works up a dollar a year. So if in a couple of years, if it costs twenty bucks, right, for each service, you're looking at you know between like eighty and one hundred twenty dollars per month. And that's not even in including internet. At least now, if you stick with the cable companies, you have your internet, your cable. They'll throw phone into you and then try to jack up the price later. So that is, it, it's terrible for the consumer, especially if we go back to one. And then they're just going to break it up like a monopoly. And it's a, it, it's a classic American story. This happens in different industries, but now it's happening with your entertainment. And people don't like that so much. But there is one other side that I want to bring up on this, Benny, and it's on the creative side. We've been in this golden age of television where a lot of different voices are getting in the room, and that's because there are more places to go to tell your story. By consolidating this all together, um, I, I hate to say it, but I, I feel like diversity is going to disappear on TV. We've seen this happen again. Look at a decade like the 70s where, where they were telling all of these very important stories, racially, gender, and then the 80s and 90s, that all kind of dis disappears. A lot of this always has to do with the business decision and stuff like that. So if there are only four places to go, I guarantee diversity disappears again. So make no mistake, at the end of the day, uh, the creator and the consumer are both going to pay for this. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Wow. I guess I should just legally stream everything, huh? <laughs> or, or you know, we work hard to get this somewhere, make a, other few projects happen, and have them pay us. Be a pawn <laughs> in the game, but have it pay out. That should be the goal for the creators. It's like they said in the movie Hackers. I didn't sell out, son. I bought in. I bought in. You got to buy in. I mean, I mean, everybody works for somebody. Like everybody. Like even Jeff Bezos, quote unquote, works for somebody. Anyway. But well, we thanks for being a great boss, Danny. Oh, no, 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 man, dude. I'm not. Oh, oh man. Uh, hey, if you want to work for the tune-up. No, just kidding. Um, uh, 
Plenty of internships ways now available. <laughs> hey, if you know digital media and social media and are good at right. it, hit us up at right. the tune up podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you want to check out all, all of our content, uh, follow us at the tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, got anything else? Yeah. Enjoy your life and keep it sexy. Happy Memorial Day weekend. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.